Welcome and thank you for joining us on The Breakthrough Factor, a podcast and YouTube show where your host, Jess Boss, interviews entrepreneurs, athletes, and financial professionals to find out what it takes to break through barriers to health, wealth, and taking ownership of your life. If you're feeling stuck in your career or seeking advice on how to overcome obstacles all the way to building your fitness and finances, this is a show for you. In this episode, I talked with Danica Waddell, a certified financial planner who focuses her time on helping women step into their power and build confidence in managing money. Danica's venture into finance, though it seems faded, had many moments of frustration that eventually led to her deciding that the career risk of entrepreneurship was actually far less than the career risk of working for someone else. Welcome to another episode of The Breakthrough Factor. I am your host, Jess Boss, and today's guest is Danica Waddell. She is a certified financial planner and the founder of Xena Financial Planning, an advisory firm located in Washington State, but she serves nationwide through her 100% virtual experience. Danica's focus is on women and members of the LGBTQ plus community, individuals who are often left out of conversations around building wealth, and specializes in the financial planning needs of those who are in the tech industry and receive equity compensation. So we'll dive into a little bit more about that in a minute, but she is extremely vocal and active in her efforts to bring about change and equality for women in wealth and has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, U.S. News, RIA Intel, along with directly engaging with her audience through social media platforms like Twitter Spaces and Instagram Lives. Danica is also a mom of two girls, something we can very much relate on, and a trail runner, something we very much do not (laughs) relate on. (laughs) Her values in life and career are easy for anyone to relate to, though. Be honest, be curious, be kind, be you, and be inclusive. Welcome to the show, Danica. Thanks, Jess. What a great intro. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I'm so excited to have you here. And all of that you are worthy of, those things uh, are absolutely true of you. And especially one of the things I've loved about you is just the way that we've connected on supporting women in the industry. Mm -hmm. So thank you for being here. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll dive right into your story. And the, the place that I would like to start based on what I know about you is the early days of your financial, the, like the pre-financial Danica, like t- take us back to who Danica was before you got into finance. And when was that? Hmm. Yeah, I got into finance pretty late, I would say. Um, I didn't really come to this career until my thirties. So, um, prior to that, I just was, I don't know, sort of fumbling along in, you know, post-college years trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And um, I mean, I knew that um, I knew that I wanted to make a difference, Mm. I guess. And the sort of accounting types of roles that I had had after college just felt very um, transactional. You know, it's just sort of like, oh, I'm just, you know, moving money around and um, helping a company's bottom line. But there wasn't a... um, kind of a sense of purpose. Um, So that was really one of the main things that drew me to financial planning, but it took me a long time to find it, honestly. 
Um, I think because of my, you know, my age and going through college in the 90s and all that, like financial planning wasn't something that you studied in college at that point. So it just, right. I think I, it took me a while to figure out exactly um, what what that looked like. Um, but um, yeah, I think just it, this profession just brings together so many different things that I love um, in terms of, you know, sort of the technical um, math side of it and the personality, yes. um, not the personality, the personal connections with clients. Um, so there's so many elements to it that resonate with me, but it really took me a while to figure out that this was exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. It was honestly, it was surprising for me when I realized that all of those things were here in finance. Was it for you? <laughs> it <Yeah>. was. Yeah. <laughs> it's like these are these are cool people. This is this is really really interesting and work to do that makes a difference. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So I know on your website you mentioned that uh, you were as a kid doing accounting for your dad. Is mm -hmm. that? I mean, did that kind of lead you into any idea? Because I know you, you were a math major, right? I mean, was it just kind of like, math major. I'm good at that? And here's kind of, I mean, that's how I ended up being a math major. Cause I was good at math and I was like, okay, I guess that's what I'm getting my degree yeah. in. I couldn't really think of anything else to major in. Um, and yeah, I did have an early experience kind of working with my dad and sort of, um, spending time understanding the household finances, which I think that's is cool. really unique. But the other piece of that that I don't talk about as much is that my mom was, um, you know, she started her career kind of late. So she, you know, was mostly a stay-at-home mom and had some sort of side jobs and, and things that weren't particularly, um, they weren't really a career. Yeah. But she went back and got her master's degree, I think in her mid to late 30s, became a teacher. And she was such a fantastic saver. Oh. And because she got a late start, so she was just, you know, she saved like, I can't remember the percentage, but she probably saved 40 or 50% of her income. Um, and she just set such a, um, such a great foundation for us as kids of like, you know, how to prioritize, um, how to save. I mean, she had me setting up my first Roth IRA when I was, you know, got my very first job. Like that was the first thing cool. she was like, you got to set up a Roth IRA, you got to fund it, you know? Um, so I also got some really great early advice from my mom about saving and the power of compounding, which was also a really great lesson. Yeah. So parents out there, it does make a difference if you talk about these mm -hmm. things and make it part of your household mm -hmm. personality uh, to, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it wasn't even anything groundbreaking. You just remember you helped your dad mm -hmm. in, with the accounting for the household expenses. I mean, you're just yeah. writing things down and with yeah. your mom, you just remember her being a great saver. And that yeah. contributed to fi contributed to financial success for your family. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, we weren't a particularly well-off family, but you know, we did fine. And and again, like my parents are comfortable now because they saved. Yeah. But know, they didn't like sit you down and teach you what an IRA. Like, they, I mean, they weren't. You know, it wasn't anything really deep about finances. Mm -hmm. It was just um, mm -hmm. how the application of good finances was meaningful for a family. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but mm -hmm. despite all that, it I think we talked about in your story that you found it actually hard to get into finance whenever you did decide that that's what you wanted to mm -hmm. do. Um, and and I think too you you ended up getting your CFP first before mm -hmm. you started your career. Mm -hmm. Would you go back and do that again? 
I think I would. um, Because, you know, going into the industry sort of mid-career when you're already like an established professional, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really want to start as like the average 22-year-old would start coming out of college. So at least having that CFP, I was able to, I think, leverage that with my existing experience. So, I mean, I was starting in a junior role, but it wasn't quite as entry level. So I was able to sort of accelerate my career more quickly, I think, by having the CFP already. Um, But I did find it a really hard industry to get into. I think there's so many different paths and so many different... um, It's overwhelming. You know, there's not really a clear like, oh, you have to get this particular degree or even the CFP. I mean, lots of different designations. There's the RIA track and there's the broker-dealer track. Um, And I just found it not only confusing, but um, a little bit overwhelming, Um, trying to figure out like which of these, I don't know how I want to practice. And it felt like once you picked one, you're kind of going down a certain path. So I spent a lot of time talking to people and thinking about it um, before I decided, you know, fee only was kind of the way that I wanted to practice and things like that. But, um, yeah, I found it very, and also I feel because there's not a lot of, um, I mean, there is like the bigger firms, like the Merrill Lynch's and the Ameriprises of the world that do have training programs. But if you work for a smaller firm, they don't usually have something like that. And so to me, the sort of idea of like getting the experience, I was like, how are you supposed to do that exactly? (laughs) Right. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't that clear. Yeah. And I, um, let's see if I can find it. I think I have it right here next to me. Brian Portnoy wrote a book. He actually gave me a copy of this mm-hmm. recently. The Investor's Paradox. Mm, it's it's uh, from almost 10 years ago. It's been mm-hmm. really, really helpful as far as what you were talking, that whole dy- dynamic, especially in finance now where people have so many options, so many choices and how the addition of choices doesn't actually really help them with decision-making. It actually Mm -hmm. harms the decision-making side of it. So I'll put a, um, I'll put that in the show show notes, uh, his Mm -hmm. book and link to that. I think it's very interesting that you brought it up. Even getting into finance as a career is, is something that comes with so many choices and so many potential pathways and certifications. And it's just not, it's not clear cut. Um, it's not clear cut. And it's also very, um, it's very uninviting. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I interviewed with places where they, they really tried to scare me, mm. you know, they were like, Oh, you have to really work hard. You have to put in 60 hour weeks and things like that. And, you know, you have to be willing yeah. to, to sell. And I was like, uh, do they want me to actually take this job? Um, but those are the firms that provide I, the training. They are. Yeah. I know. So it's so tough. Exactly. So, I mean, I just, and I just think, you know, the, the sort of like the men in suits and the sort of the mahogany desks and all those sorts of things, they are designed to intimidate people mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kept thinking like, I don't feel comfortable in these places. So, and I think that's why I'm so drawn to working with people that, um, that don't fit sort of the traditional model, um, of who is typically served by our industry, which yeah. is people that already have a lot of money. Right. Typically they're white, typically they're older. And it's like, I don't feel I don't resonate with that population. And so it makes sense that, you know, I don't even feel comfortable. How would, how would a potential client feel comfortable when they don't kind of see themselves reflected there? Yeah. I, uh, I found that too, in the very beginning, I, I, I got called very often somebody, they related me to their daughter in a conversation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I don't, it wasn't a derogatory mm-hmm. comment, but it immediately reduced the respect yeah. they had for 
my ability to manage sure. their finances because in their mind they would never trust their daughter with their finances. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was a huge hurdle to overcome with that demographic. Uh, so that definitely, yeah. definitely I understand and have experienced mm-hmm. that. Did you, um, so you said you, you interviewed at a couple of different places. Where did you, where did you end up going when you first started? Um, I did get very far down the track with Ameriprise, actually. That was one place that um, I, I think I went through several interviews there, um, and but ended up not going that route. I found I did find a fee-only firm in Seattle that was small and you know was doing comprehensive financial planning mm-hmm. for for their clients. Um, it seemed like a great fit at the outset. Um, didn't end up lasting very long because the um, the owner was very unwilling to train. Mm-hmm. So his his um, model was just kind of like just figure it out, figure it out, <laughs> um, which I did. But um, but it was not just it wasn't just that he was hands off. I mean, he was actively kind of like trying to set me up for failure. I feel yeah um, to sort of test me. That was his his method. Was the was and the requirement thought, for you to bring in your own clients? He was just giving you basically an office to sit in. How was what was the role? F- um, set? No, I didn't have to bring in my own clients. Um, he actually had a pretty full client roster mm-hmm. already. And so I was really there to support him, um, in, you know, working with his clients. So I met with his clients with him, you know, so I was involved in client meetings. I was preparing financial plans for people, um, things like that, but he just, you know, he was very, um, uninterested in my development. It was yeah. sort of like I had to t- sort of take total control, which I'm, I'm happy to take control. Um, but he was not setting me up for success yeah. in any way. Yeah. Um, and so that was, um, that was discouraging, yeah. but I did ultimately find a place where I was really uh, more, it wasn't a formal mentorship, but I felt that I was really supported, um, and that I had the resources I needed to develop into the planner I wanted to become. Yeah. And so you got there where you, um, this is where you actually started working with equity compensation plans, correct? Mm-hmm. So you spent a good yeah. bit of time at this next firm. Yeah. My last job I was at for a little bit more than four years and, um, you know, we're Seattle based firms, you know, you're going to get a lot of people with equity compensation. So and I think our office was, you know, two blocks from Amazon headquarters. So we just had so many clients that worked at Amazon and Microsoft and all of the, all of the big tech companies and a lot of the smaller ones. So I did get um, just fantastic experience working there, both, both with equity compensation, but also with different types of people. Um, There wasn't like an asset minimum. So we could work with people that didn't, hadn't really earned, you know, or made much yet um, as well as people on the higher end of the spectrum. So it was a really broad, um, range of clientele, which was great exposure to just seeing lots of different types of things. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite, like who, who was your favorite type of client to work with there? (sighs) The ones that are nice. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's a, there's a learning piece Um, in there for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I could make a lot of answers to that, but um, I think at the end of the day, there is something about the clients that value, you know, value you as a planner, value your advice and are, and, and respect, you know, your time, all of those things. So at the end of the day, to me, that's far and above the much more important thing than, you know, where you work or what you do. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it's your first make, value. 
on your on your website yeah. is be kind. And mm-hmm. so that's a obviously mm-hmm. an important part of the culture that you're creating for them. And so it would make sense that if you're inviting them yeah. in, that that would be the ones that best resonate with you, best fit with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I did find, you know, and I think this is true of a lot of people that, you know, I really wanted to work with people that were kind of middle of their career. So I'm mid forties, but you know, somebody that's say 30 to 55 or something like that within 10 or 15 years on either end, but working with somebody that was 75, like that just didn't resonate as much with me. You know, it's like, okay, that's my parents' age. Like I did want to work with people, um, that are closer to my age that are kind of going through the same things with like kids and planning for college and, you know, saving up to buy their first house or whatever. A lot of those things that people are dealing with in their, their thirties and forties. Yeah. I think it's important too, because there are less financial advisors for that age group currently. Mm -hmm. We we need more, we need more advisors who are, who are equipped and excited mm-hmm. about working with the 35 to 55 year olds to help them become financially successful and able to retire on their terms. A lot of the conversation mm-hmm. piece around that is that you know, they have to, in a lot of ways, set up their structure for their wealth building um, mm-hmm. journey. They, they're not handed that in the same way they have been in the past through their corporate benefits or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more work you have yeah. to do to be on top of that nowadays. I think, I think that's my, that's mm-hmm. my two cents on that. So I just wanted to be able to really focus yeah. on those sorts of things rather than trying to like spread myself thin and know everything about every single stage of life. Yeah. Um, so you're not still with that firm because <laughs> you have Xena uh-huh. financial planning. Uh-huh. Um, but it sounds like that was a good fit for you. Uh, mm-hmm. how, like, how was the, where was the transition point in leaving that firm and yeah. starting your own? Yeah. Um, I was quite happy there and it was a good fit in a lot of ways. So there were many, many positives about that role. You know, I loved my coworkers, fantastic clients. Um, just, we did really good work for yeah. people and I was, you know, grateful to have that, um, that experience. But at a certain point, um, you know, there was an issue with my registration with the state and um, I didn't do anything wrong, but the firm was under kind of an investigation for several months mm. um, by the Washington State Department of Financial Institutions. And it, it, I was kind of in a limbo period as that investigation went on. So I couldn't work with my clients and I couldn't be compensated for client work. And it was, uh, I couldn't communicate. Because it was directly related to your registration. It was specifically me. Yeah. Everyone else at the firm was fine. Oh um, and so it was, um, a very stressful yeah. period of time. It happened at the exact moment that the pandemic was starting. So like the whole world seemed to be turned upside oh down, um, as well as my professional life. Right. And um, after about three months, I just said, you know, I don't think I ever want to be anyone's employee ever again. I always thought I was doing the safe thing, yeah. right? Like I've got a salary, I've got benefits, I've got, you know, the support of team members, Um, and it became clear that I was, it was not safe at all because, you know, all of a sudden I couldn't do what I was hired to do and I couldn't get compensated for my client, you know, all of a sudden, all of that was totally, um, not safe. safe. (laughs) And so it became, you know, it sort of, it happened very quickly Mm -hmm. after about three months of me going through this, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I came to this realization I'm done. I'm never going to be an employee again. 
Um, and so, you know, within, within the space of a couple of days of, of that first realization coming to me, I, you know, resigned, incorporated and, um, started on my own, my own path. That is a very interesting point that you make that most people equate that did it, it sounds like it really, even though you were afraid beforehand at that moment, now we're not thinking about what we're afraid of. Now we're just thinking about what we need to do to make mm-hmm. this happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still scared. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not in the same way. Maybe scared isn't quite the right word, but still, you know, I have lots of doubts about like, am I doing the right thing? And are my fees right? And, you know, growth and just all the things I think that we go through as, um, as business owners in terms of, um, there's just a lot of things to think about. Um, and I definitely am constantly wondering whether or not I'm doing it right. Um, so I think that's, that's normal actually to have a little bit of that. Self-reflect. So did you know that you were going to work with women whenever you started heading, like when you decided this is where I'm going, did you already know that you wanted to work with women? With, I work with women who are just terrified yeah. of their money. Yeah. They're terrified. And, um, so I just, I have so much, um, interest in seeing that change. Right. And so, I mean, I can only impact however many clients I work with, but the ability, I mean, I hear from clients all the time. Um, one just said to me recently on a call, gosh, I feel so much more, um, I can't remember the word she used. I don't think it was relaxed, but I feel like confident Mm -hmm. in my ability around my finances. And I was like, hooray, that is the best news I've ever, the best statement I've ever heard from a client, you know, that sort of, um, confidence and, um, you know, empowerment gets thrown around mm-hmm. a lot, but I do think there is this notion that women, you know, don't have, um, the, enough knowledge to make their own decisions. They don't feel confident. They, whatever, there's so many things in that. I mean, we could probably spend an hour talking about that, but that to me was clear very early on that I wanted to work with women. And then some of the other parts came a little bit later, but yeah, I, um, I take, I take a lot of issue with, the the headline and the constant discussion around women women feeling like they don't know enough or women feeling mm-hmm. like they're not capable of managing money because even in those headlines even in those discussions you're starting off with the suggestion that women don't know enough the suggestion that women mm-hmm. can't manage their money and that lands and finds a space in the brain, regardless of whether or not the actual conversation is being steered in the opposite direction. And Mm -hmm. that is a, a a big empowerment piece that I feel Mm -hmm. sure you're, you're attacking in your firm. And something that's important for me too, is just framing things in a way that doesn't say what we're missing, but instead says what we are doing Mm -hmm. and what we're Mm -hmm. Oh, we know Mm -hmm. what the next step is and framing it forward minded instead of looking back. And hopefully that narrative Mm -hmm. is changing. Uh, Definitely something. Uh, We've got so much. I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big problem. Um, But you know, it's learned like nobody, you know, comes up as a three-year-old and is like, Oh, I'm not good with money. Right. I mean, that's not something that is inherent in women. That's something that we're taught by society and by our parents and, you know, whoever we're around. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just feel so strongly about, yeah, changing that narrative, 
um, and helping women to have the tools that they need to make decisions confidently. Yeah, I love that. So you, you figured out where, what you were going to do. You knew who you wanted to work with. How did you get your name, Zena? I'm so disclosureful. I am so jealous of your name. I love your firm's name. It is badass. It is the <laughs> best. So, um, I want to, I want to know, I went like, so how, yeah. how did you, mm-hmm. how did you get to the name? Yeah. And was it something that you had first or did it come later? When it came time to launch, um, my, we had just gotten a puppy, my family, um, very, very beginning of the pandemic. So we were one of those families that rushed right out and got a puppy. Um, and we named her Zena. Oh. And um, so when I was trying to come up with a name, basically, my husband was like, well, duh, of course, Zena is the perfect name. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. It is the perfect name. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was just really natural. So within a month, we had Zena the puppy came to our household and then Zena Financial Planning launched, you know, a few weeks. The other thing I love about the name and sort of what it evokes for those of us that, you know, are familiar with Xena Warrior Princess is not just the empowerment, but the independence. Mm. I love that concept of women um, being financially independent, yeah. um, regardless of your relationship status, whether you're single or married. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every woman should have their own resources, their own career. Um, I'm not a huge fan of stay at home parenting because you never know what's going to happen. And I've seen a lot of situations where, you know, people think that they're going to rely on their spouse's income and then their spouse leaves them or, you know, dies unexpectedly or something. And then it's like, you don't have a career to fall back on. So, I mean, I feel really strongly about women having their own, even if it's small, something that they can nurturing along the way. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great, a great point to, to consider, not that it has to be a dominant part of, mm-hmm. you know, your, your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. If you are in that stage where your kids are little, but just having that skill and that mm-hmm. side hustle, if it, if, yeah. it, if yeah. you will, that yeah. you're nurturing that can be more yeah. if it needs to be. That can't. Exactly. Um, exactly. I think that's really, mm-hmm. really wise to think about. Um, mm-hmm. So the, so you said something and we kind of skipped over it. The, you started your firm in the middle of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I launched in, well, I, I think the business was incorporated in May of 2020, but I officially launched in July and, of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So were there any pain points of starting during the pandemic? I mean, obviously you don't have anything to compare it to, but that's true. (laughs) It's, it also seems like it would, I don't know, were there challenges? There there could be both pros and cons of being in that environment starting off. I don't think there were any cons. I can't think of any. Um, I mean, I think just the, the concept that you don't need to have an office became so normalized. Mm -hmm. Um, so that wasn't an expense that I ever had and that wasn't a requirement was to meet with people in person. I think that all of that just made, um, that part of the business really easy for people to understand. It was like, oh yeah, of course we'll meet on zoom. And of course you don't have an office and, um, all of those things. I think, yeah, there wasn't any downside. And for my clients, they're younger, you know, they're comfortable with doing stuff online. It really hasn't been, um, a challenge in any way. Um, and in some ways I think it just made me more efficient yeah. and again, less overhead. Like I don't have rent, all of those things. So I think it was only, only a positive. Yeah. But you don't have any, you don't have any coworkers. Do you like that? 
ultimately? I do. Yeah. Well, I do have a coworker. You do now. Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah, I do sorry. now. I do. I know. Sorry. Yes, you do now. But mm-hmm. when you started mm-hmm. off, you were, uh, you know, by yourself. Yes. Building this. I was. I, mm-hmm. I dove into Twitter during that time because I was in a similar situation yeah. and just found yeah. my community there because I was lonely. Mm-hmm. I was so lonely. It is. Lonely. <sighs> it's very lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I definitely relied on people from Twitter and XYPN and NAPFA and just different communities yeah. that I'm part of. Those became a really big part of my, um, you know, just survival yeah. in, in that early part of the pandemic for sure. Yeah. I definitely think we are not alone in that and that Twitter became a definitive source mm-hmm. of community <laughs> for financial mm-hmm. uh, advisors and people in financial services that were working from home. And so yeah. much good has come from that. Like I would know you. <laughs> so much good. If, so much yeah. good. I know I've made so many friends from Twitter yeah. and connections and, you know, been featured in articles and podcasts and things like that, all sorts of stuff that I never would have, yeah. never would have been exposed to. That's very cool. Uh, yeah. So I, I've heard from several people now that the pandemic actually provided mm-hmm. a lift off for them because of the work from home ability and the balance that they, yeah. they were able to have there. Um, mm-hmm. how did your family feel about you being in the house? Was that stressful? Was that impactful at all that you were there working? think so. I mean, my kids are super proud yeah, of, that's... you know, the business and actually my older daughter is wearing her Xena financial planning shirt to school today. So they're always, um, promoting me and, um, they're just, I think they are very impressed, um, with seeing their mom, you know, just go out and that's neat. Um, I love that your girls are all in mm-hmm. on it. Amazing. So I, I do want to make sure we get this question in as far as I mean, there are so many moments during your story where you had to persevere and especially I would say that moment well two of them one is on the front side of not really finding a place in finance Mm -hmm. very quickly and easily that Mm -hmm. you felt like fit what you were looking for and pressing through to find that good fit and then on the flip side of that thinking that was your place and eventually having to deal with the fact that it was not the right situation because they mishandled your registration. And so mm-hmm. now you're having right. to tumble into a, a new stage of your career, opening your own business, mm-hmm. all of that without warning, without intention. Yeah. So yeah. what, what, that's, those are stressful times. Those are mm-hmm. difficult times where you have to just keep moving forward in some way. Yeah. What yeah. are your go-tos for figuring out how to move forward in moments like that? Can you remember mm-hmm. what you did or is it something different now mm-hmm. that you figured out works for you to help you? Yeah. One thing that I've been hearing a lot of mention about on Twitter, actually, that I don't have yet, but I want to, is this idea of having a personal board of advisors, Mm, which I think is so powerful. And so, I mean, I have sort of informal people that I talk to, but I love the idea of just having, you know, half a dozen um, colleagues or whatever that you can reach out to and kind of say like, all right, I need, I need help here. Like what, what insight do you have? Um, So that's the sort of thing that I think Um, is really beneficial. So even in a more informal way, um, having those relationships with other people, I think is um, critical because 
um, you know, the reality is you don't have perspective on your own situation. Like you have to ask, you have to ask other people to get perspective. But I also, I rely pretty heavily on, um, exercise, different type of exercise from you, but running is where, (laughs) you know, I kind of work through things. Um, it's kind of my alone time and my time to, um, just sort of hash things out in my, in my brain. So that's, um, something I rely heavily on journaling, meditation, all of those things I think are, um, help me be intentional. Yeah. 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 Good. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us and sharing your story and, uh, just for agreeing to be here today. So thank you for your time and for for, just being open. I loved being here. I'm always happy to chat with you, of course. Thank you. Um, But also with your audience. So thanks for having me. Awesome. If you would like to reach out to Danica, whether it's for financial planning related uh, interest, or if you just want to connect with her because she's a badass woman in finance and we all want to be connected to those type of people, then you can, there's a couple of different ways. She's on Instagram at Xena Financial Planning and Xena, just in case, because I have a couple of bad spellers in my house, is X-E-N-A, correct, Danica? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. You got it. Awesome. So X-E-N-A is the way that Xena is, is spelled and the way that is spelled in her firm. So Xena Financial Planning on Instagram. She's also on Twitter at Danica W. So Danica W on Twitter. Mm -hmm. She's at on LinkedIn for anybody who ventures into that space. And she's Danica Waddell on LinkedIn. And then of course you can also reach out to her through her website, www.zenafp.com. Made it nice and short for us. So, and if you loved this episode of The Breakthrough Factor, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with episodes just like this in the future. Do you know someone who has had a breakthrough moment in their career? Or if you are the someone that has had a breakthrough moment in your career, please reach out. would love to talk with you and hopefully have an opportunity to share your story with our guests. And finally, I appreciate any reviews and feedback you give me. I'm always learning. I am always interested in hearing how the show can be geared toward things that will help you in your career and in your life and um, just keep them coming for me. So cheers, friends. As always, go lift heavy and be kind.